0: Perpetual hope. Oh, oh, oh! Santa's coming to town. Santa!
1: Oh my God! It's Christmas. It's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. Yippee ki yay! It's a full-blown war alarm holiday, holiday emergency, emergency, here. emergency here. And when Santa keeps his fat white ass down that chimney night, he's gonna find the jolliest bunch of assholes this side of the nut house. Merry Christmas to all the world. Best bits, Best bits. Gunshot. Gunshot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings Do an emotional fucking proof. The soul is dolch. shit. why don't you go find a wall socket and stick your tongue in it? Yeah. I'll stick my tongue up, you pretty. Merry Christmas! Well Merry Christmas
0: well, well, Christmas! I say. Well, we well, oh, well, started. Here we go we have everyone welcome this is will here and i am joined as always by kevin hello kevin <laughs> how are you will you're looking very very festive there with your christmas jumper
1: and yourself you look great with your little santa hat on yeah listen <laughs> i don't know this is just me every day to year but if people want to see what Will looks like with his little santa hat on and we're both wearing Christmas jumpers We're recording this episode on video Please
0: consider becoming a Patreon member Where you will enjoy
1: video episodes Hey hey
0: <laughs> It's great for me right now Kevin Because what I see when you're on camera All I see is a blurry blob right now
1: Thanks Will I've the- been trying to lose weight
0: <laughs> I don't You've done a fantastic job You look svelte You look amazing Yeah,
1: uh, Yeah I've got more to lose I have it to lose says you well it is the third one of these that we've done which is our best picks where we list our ten favourite films of the year they're not the best because that's subjective Mm -hmm. it's just the ones that well for me anyway it's the ones that I feel most passionate about to recommend others make time to see that Mm -hmm. they may not match your taste but they're the ones that I think whatever you do in ascending order, put these on your must-see list because I have at least three that I think are five-star films and everything else I'm splitting here is they're all genuinely corkers or crackers for the season that's in it. That's brilliant. For me, my
0: list has been in constant flux, but the top three, top four top five actually are locked in as in, but I don't know which one is going to be my top top one I think I, I, I'm locked in on what my top one is but the rest of them have been kind of like moving places up and down according to how, how I feel in particular moment yeah but how I've defined my list is something similar to you in the sense that these are the films that I got so much from they and I'm actually quite surprised by some of the titles that are on my list because they're not the, I suppose, critical... Some of them are definitely are not critical darlings. Ooh, okay. Yeah, some of them were real... Really affected me in some way, shape or form or uh, had an interesting idea that I thought was executed in a fascinating way um, versus some of, some of the bigger, bigger titles that will surely be Oscar contenders. That didn't quite make my top 10 list.
1: That See, time. as you're saying that... It's the same for me. I have some heavy hitters that are not on my top 10 list. And I don't know how people will respond mm. to that. But look, I put a lot of a care into this list. It has been in flux. Like I was writing my notes earlier on and it was even changing then. So I'm not going to do what I did last year, which is start mixing up my list as I'm saying it and moving ones around and then forgetting my place. But yeah... Splitting hairs, I am for like the bottom five, and then the top five well, the top three are sort of interchangeable. I guess, will we just get into it? Again, yes, do you want to go first? My first
0: film, I had no expectations for when I put it on, but my god, it it it, it delighted me and told a story that I really didn't know much about aside from the broad, broad strokes. This year was a year where a lot of films came out, which dealt with the, the creation or the rise and fall of products. So business ventures features heavily in a lot of productions between the origins of the flaming hot Cheetos, IP origin stories, IP origin stories, and they're actually some of them were quite good. So my number 10 <laughs> is Blackberry. Oh, you guys are so fucking stupid. You know what? Maybe I'll buy this whole fucking league. Huh? How about that? Don, can we see that Mr. Bald Silly gets safely back to Canada? Oh, fuck all you people! Fuck you! Get ready for a hostile takeover of this entire fucking league, okay? You
1: fuck! You think I won't fucking do it? I'm from Waterloo! Where the vampires hang out! Very good. Is that on your list Kevin? It's not. I think it's my 20th film. Okay. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. So this is
0: a film that is written, co-written, directed and also co-stars Matt Johnson. It's I think it's his maybe his second feature film and it is the the story of the the rise and fall of the hand of the phone, the Blackberry. Which sounds like it is not a wouldn't be a very compelling story, but oh my god, it actually is kind of riveting because it at its core has two incredible characters. We have um the the guy the inventor of the Blackberry, Mike Mike Lazardus, who's played by Jay Burchell, who is the Creative mind who is leading his team and you know coming up with this brilliant way of uh, advancing how mobile we communicate using mobile devices versus the business side of the industry. Um, Jim Jim I think is ballsale Ballasale I can't remember how he how his surname how you pronounce his surname, but it's it's played by the absolutely terrifying Glenn Howerton who stars in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Do you think he's going to get an Oscar nomination for this? I think it would be, I think, I think yes. I think it has to get an Oscar nomination because it's such a standout performance. He's essentially playing the villain in this story. And and those roles are big, meaty, boisterous roles. And I think it's easy to see how this could be. You could make a case for this guy getting an Oscar nomination. I think he's brilliant in it. I think he's absolutely brilliant brilliant what's compelling about the film is that tug of war between the creative side the engineers and the uh the business side and how the two have to find a way to they, they have to negotiate each other and work together to become a success but also how one is in conflict with the other continuously and how it basically one will lead leads to the ultimate demise of the the Endeavour. It was a really, really entertaining film. It was tense, very, very tense, but it was also funny and captivating and it whipped along. So um, I was just kind of mesmerised by the film, really. So yeah, it's on. My, it's my number 10. It's very good. Haven't
1: they turned it into a TV show now? There's something that they've done, which is they've re-edited it as a TV movie. Really? Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. I did not if know that. It's a TV series. Wow. Yeah Very good What is your number 10, Kevin?
1: My number 10, Will is the last film that I saw for this top 10 uh, a film that felt from a different era that was playing to a tone that I don't see much anymore and that is the sincere monster movie that has gravitas and it is Godzilla minus one <laughs>
0: また<音>
1: <むせろー!
0: 音> <音>ボード島 Oh my God. This is the film that I wanted to have watched for this list, but it is no, it's not, I don't have a screener for it. It is the closest screening of it is maybe in Dublin and it's got, it's on at like four o'clock and whatever. I So I'm jealous. Everyone's talking about this film and are, and they're loving it. And I'm jealous that you have seen it and I have not. Tell me what am I, what am I missing out, Kevin? And what have I got to look forward to?
1: It's a film that I feel in moments comes closest to evoking the sentiment of jaws Mm. it's a period film and the minus one has to do with i thought I, i don't understand why it's called minus one but apparently it has to do with the lowest point in japan's history so it's just after the war and japan is dealing with the the devastation that was wrought upon them by oppenheimer it follows a kamikaze pilot who didn't carry out his mission so he didn't kill himself and there's that guilt that's weighing down upon him. So he didn't die with honor. He is one of the surviving witnesses of a Godzilla attack that wipes out all of the other soldiers that are on a base on an island when he doesn't pull the trigger on a gun. And there are sort of rumors about Godzilla existing, but people aren't, you know, fully aware of it. So then it tracks him as he descends into this guilt trip. He meets this young woman who is taking care of an orphan child that she sort of found it on the streets and she's taking care of it. And he ends up then taking care of her and the kid. There are other characters brought into the story of this ruined Japan that is trying to overcome this terrible tragedy and deal with the ramifications of them having this fight to the death mentality and still losing the war. And what I loved about it and what I found really moving about it is that it feels like it's, well, it's definitely dealing with the atomic blasts that happened, but there's a lovely spirit of camaraderie where the people band together to fight for life instead of death and they're fighting against Godzilla. Godzilla doesn't factor into the story too much. He pops up in maybe four or five major sequences but the characters are so well drawn. It spends an awful lot of time with them. It just has these beautiful moments that are sort of really surprisingly moving on top of then having these great spectacle action scenes. The special effects are fantastic. There are a few moments Mm -hmm. where it feels like you're seeing a man in a suit, but on the whole, it's so well done. And I just haven't seen a monster movie since Jaws that is using the monster to tell a very serious story about trauma, about honor and about tragedy so when the people band together and they're going to fight for life and they're going to fight Godzilla it got to me it was like it was like a war movie and you really felt on the side of these underdogs who have lost everything and now the kamikaze guy is going to fulfill his destiny I I just loved it there's a lot more of Godzilla out at sea so that's where the Jaws vibe mm. comes into it. But yeah, it's um it's underdogs against the greatest threat that Japan ever faced. And the subtext behind it, the sort of the, the story that they're telling themselves. I found it quite moving.
0: It is interesting you bring it up because I have been on a little bit of a Godzilla kick recently. Uh, I'd never seen the original one or really anything before. The ninety-eight Roland Emmerich version of Godzilla and I, a, a few people I know are Godzilla complete Godzilla stands so they gave me a list of films that I had to watch so I went back and re-watched the original Godzilla which came out in 54 and was mm-hmm. really impressed by the human story and at the core of that film it really is about a nation collectively dealing with the trauma of the of as you already spoke about, the 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 Nagasaki and Hiroshima bombing. And I found it, it resonated so much through that old, old movie with a kind of awful looking creature that, that, you know, it's a man in a rubber soup sort of stuff or small miniature that they used. And the human side of it really still resonated and shone through, despite its shortcomings. At the end of the original movie, I was moved by it, actually. And so I'm delighted to hear that, that, that this film is, is playing in the same space.
1: So it's doing really, really well. But yeah, the greatest compliment I can pay to it is that there are moments when these guys who were sent on basically a suicide mission, which is to go out and clear the sea mines. And they're on this little tugboat and they're having to shoot these mines to blow them up. And Godzilla appears and it's chasing them down. I was like, God, this is giving me the vibes of Jaws. So you can't really pay a higher compliment in terms of monster movies than that. It's really great. And I cared and I was rooting for the guys when they were putting the plans together to fight back and save Japan. And I thought, yeah, go on, let's do it. I loved it. Very good. My number 10. What's your number nine? My number nine Is a surprising entry
0: for me because I did not expect this story to end up in my top 10 list of the year, particularly when I first heard about it, which was probably in 2020 or 2021, I think it was. This is a true story. Again, it's it's a, a kind of a story to do with business. So uh, during, I'm a a gamer and I used to follow, or I would still follow the the video gaming news and uh, listen to video gaming podcasts. And I remember a story emerging in one of these weekly podcasts I would listen to where they talked about how the stock prices of GameStop has been on the decline for over a decade now. And at every moment, it feels like it's about to go bust. And then all of a sudden, in 2020, the stock prices started to soar. And it became big news in the business world that for a couple of months, the stock prices of GameStop kept rising and rising and rising. And it really shook the foundations of Wall Street as to what the hell was actually happening. So my number nine is a film based on this story called Dumb Money. How much did we make today? Five million. And yesterday? Four million. Hey, yeah.
1: We're like, Wall Street rigged the system. Stupidest people on Earth. Some money, man. Happy to take it. These ordinary people risked it all. stock. Never bet against Wall
0: Street. If he's in, I'm in. If he's in, I'm in.
1: To take them down.
0: How much did we lose today? A billion. And yesterday?
1: A billion. Dumb
0: money. I, I, honest to God, found this surprisingly very, very good. It's directed by Craig Gillespie, who did I, Tanya*. And Lars and the Real Girl from from over 20 years ago. It's written by a couple of uh, reporters, Lauren Shuker Bloom and Rebecca Angelo. And it stars a brilliant Paul Dano, who's the lead guy who is this who's basically he plays a guy called Keith Gill, who basically he's a regular Joe who sunk his entire life savings into the GameStop stop. And he started to vlog about it and post about it. And a basically a social media movement rose up around him where other people started to do the same thing. And he called them, so he went under the the codename of Roaring Kitty or something like that. And as a result of this movement of people investing in GameStop, a company which was on the way down, the stock prices rose up and basically brought billionaires to their knees which was the fascinating aspect of the, of the story. It has a brilliant cast, as I said, Paul Dano, Shailene Woodley plays his wife, America Ferreira, P- Pete Davidson, Seth Rogen, Gofferman's in it as well, and Vincent D'Onofrio, a fantastic cast. But w- what surprised me about this film is that it became a portrait of a, of a very, very thin slice of what was going on in the pandemic, where everyone was suffering across the world. Everyone was suffering but the poorest were actually suffering the most. This is a story of a regular Joe who soared for a minute, soared so high for a minute. And, shook the foundations of their lives just for this brief, brief moment in time. It's like a, a cross-section of society in America at the time from the billionaires to the poorest. It, it was a very humanist story because it kind of shines a light on each each of these individual people. And what it does very cleverly is it opens the film by introducing the characters with a title card and um, giving us their net worth. So we see the billionaires are all worth like, two or three billion. And then we come to like, you know, America Ferrera's character and she's worth minus 60 something thousand, you know? So as the film goes along, their net worth is kind of like chart as it goes along. And you really, really are invested in this movement and these characters. And there's this, there's a constant sense of dilemma as to when they should get out when they should uh, sell or do they hold? It's a, at the very, very core of this. It's about, do you, do you stick together or do, you, do, you, do when do you jump ship? As a result, there's, there's this constant riveting tension throughout the film and it's all centered around Paul Denno's character, who's a really nice guy who has just a very, very, very simple moral kind of viewpoint on the world that uh, I kind of just like to stock. And uh, I really liked it. I really, really thought this was a, a nice humanist story. And it, uh, it was a good kind of portrait of a, of a very, very particular moment in all our lives during the pandemic. I think it was a great, it's a great pandemic story. That's what I would say about it. So yeah, that's my number nine. Dumb Money is what it's called.
1: I don't know it. I'll have to uh, look out for it. My number nine is Dream Scenario. Oh my God, Kevin that's my number eight i had a feeling it would be so we can talk about it when we get to your well no, oh my god number eight Wait, no, isn't it what's well, no
0: so yeah. we can conflate this yeah we can conflate this your number nine is my number eight dream scenario have you been dreaming about me you keep popping up in my dreams
1: why me i'm special i guess <laughs> i wish i was the one people were dreaming about me too dream scenario I would have had it much higher on my list if only for one deviation that the story takes in the third act which I didn't like and that made me bump it down a few notches but it's still a really engaging and funny the editing of the film is is so funny that um, I had such a great time with it, and I was really on board with the story. Aside from the slight, like, little detour that it takes, which I don't know if you know what I'm alluding to, but uh,
0: I think at the very end, in the last, in the last act, I think I, I know what you're talking about. There's a
1: wristwatch element,
0: yes, yes, and I didn't
1: like that because that moved it into a a science fiction space, and up until then, it felt like it was, it, it felt like a Coen Brothers version of a a Kaufman story. And it felt in a magical realism type yes. place. And if it stayed there, I would have, I would have had it way up like top three, top four. But basically, the story follows Nicolas Cage, who is this hapless college professor, and his life gets completely turned upside down when suddenly, out of the blue, millions and millions of strangers start telling him that he's appearing in their dreams, and he is somebody who has this unfulfilled. Perpet- potential as he sees it who hasn't sort of fulfilled his own dreams and he's sort of um perplexed that this is happening for one but also that he's incredibly passive in everybody else's dreams that he's not doing anything so this all goes to his head Mm -hmm. and he goes on this um media tour uh and then things start to go even more awry so he's basically like a very normal mundane Ned Flanders version of Freddy Krueger mm-hmm. it affects his marriage it affects his kids it affects his students and I really really thought it was great crack and again it was the editing that was getting to me these sort of blunt juxtaposition cuts that every so often would just um, just get me and I cackled a few times but it has a it has a Twilight Zone vibe to it. But well, I really enjoyed it. And I just wish that they didn't include, I think it's a neural, it's some sort of like neural link. And I'll tell you another thing. I had a story that was very similar to this, which I pitched to Black Mirror, which was about shared dreams. It was too similar in a space to one of their episodes that we're doing in a season coming up. So I got to meet with them on that, but it didn't progress. So I was watching this thinking, oh, this is like the idea that I had. Somebody just appearing in somebody else's dreams. Anyway, what did you think of it? So you're number eight. So you had it slightly higher than me. Somebody must have plucked it from your dreams, Kevin.
0: That's probably what happened.
1: I Only Have Nightmares. Oh.
0: <laughs> it's written and directed by Chris- Christopher Borgley, who is a Norwegian director. And his previous feature films, which I have not seen, I'm sick of myself, is one of them. and I've added it to my watch list. Over, oh, 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 same. But his other films are supposed to be much darker and also deal with the notion of internet fame and and how we how the internet affects us and it, it it shines a light on the kind of it's a cautionary tale with regards to you know social media. It says it's saying stuff about cancel culture. It's dealing with a lot of things, but at the core of it as well is we have another brilliant performance from Nicholas Cage. Like Nicolas Cage is one of those actors who really I think when we look at when when we end up looking at his career when he finishes up, he's had the most fascinating body of work from doing these really, really <laughs> low straight to video or straight to streaming movies to doing films like Pig and This and and so many other interesting, odd little films. There's odd like Mandy, even the unbearable likeness of massive talent or whatever
1: that was. It's his line delivery. There was a line in it where he was going on a a date with one of the assistants at the talent agency that wants to represent him. And they want to start putting him in Sprite commercials. But he meets with this young assistant who's been having sex dreams with him in it. Mm. And when she tells him that she was born in 1997, he goes, check, please. But (laughs) It's the way that he just delivered that line just made me crack up i was like he just can spin gold from the most mundane things but yeah he's such a funny he's such a brilliant comic actor as well as a dramatic actor so i hope he doesn't retire from films as he said he wants to but yeah, this is a, this is a quite a strong one to go out on if he does. Oh Lordy, I
0: hope he does not. Cause I think he's, he's still, he's still just so many interesting, fascinating, um, pieces of work. Uh, like pig was great from last year. This, this for me, I'm shocked that this film is on my, in my top 10. I only watched it a couple of days ago out of pure randomness cause it didn't appear on anyone else's list. So I'm delighted that it's in your top 10 as well. We have not discussed this. So, um, Yeah, for me, Dream Scenario was just one of those unusual, uh, odd, but uh, kind of totally compelling films. Very Twilight Twilight Zone-ish-esque. And um, yeah, I would recommend everyone see it as well.
1: So my number eight, and I suspect this might also be on your list. Okay. From the Game Night directors, Goldstein and Daly, and it's Dungeons and Dragons, (sighs) Honor Among Thieves. Kevin. Is it on your list? That's my number seven. So That's my next your number one. seven. Yes. <laughs> Once the dead man is revived, we can ask him five questions. At which point he will die again, mm-hmm. never to be re revived.
0: Were you killed in the battle of the Ever Horse? Yes. Four more questions,
1: right? Yes. No, no, no. That w- that wasn't for you. Did that count as a question? Yes. Damn it! Only answer when I talk to you. Okay. Yes. Why did you say okay at the end of that? I didn't.
0: Fantastic.
1: Where's the shovel? I thought that this was an incredibly good-spirited, fun, witty film that ticked all the boxes. It had practical effects, a majority of practical effects. Actors in rubber suits, shooting on location Mm -hmm. in places that looked great on camera. Chris Pine is always fun to watch, but it also had a heist story. And protagonists who are thieves, I think, is always fun. So yeah, this one is about a likable band of rogues, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, Hugh Grant, who sort of is a a bit of a, he switches sides in the story. Um, I had a ball with this film and it had the biggest Mm. laugh moment for me of the whole year, which is that while they're trying to, (laughs) trying to break into this maze that's happening, this tournament that's happening that Hugh Grant has put on the big bad, and chris pine whose special ability apart from being a thief is that he can play the loot <laughs> he tries to create a diversion mm. against the guards with this spell that's put on them and he, he starts to melt and his face <laughs> as he's just deforming in front of them and one of the guards goes what is happening <laughs> It was the biggest laugh of the year for me, and the film is just filled with moments like that. I just love this army of darkness, adventure spirit, and it was great fun. Definitely one to watch.
0: Another one of those titles that I did not expect to be in my top 10 end of year list, but my God, it's so well written. It whips along at at an incredible pace, and I just found it to be refreshing. For a Hollywood family Hollywood adventure film to be so funny and so brisk and so delightful is what it is. Also, one of one of my favorite things about it is it's Hugh Grant because he now is. Whenever I see Hugh Grant as a supporting character in the film, I'm leaning forward. I'm leaning forward, going, "Oh, that's going to be fun." Whatever he's doing with it, he's gonna he's gonna make it enjoyable.
1: Because he's having
0: fun. He's having so much and he loves playing bad guys now. He's becoming he's com- he has this new kind of lease of life as your favorite bad guy in in films. And
1: he's um he's great in this. Did you see him at the Oscars? He was on the red carpet and he was being interviewed. And uh the <laughs> the woman, you know, is she's decked out with her diamonds and whatever, and she's trying to get any sort of back and forth going with Hugh Grant. <laughs> Hugh Grant, you are a veteran of the Oscars, and you've been here a few times. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars?
0: Um, well, uh, <laughs> it's fascinating. It's uh, it's uh, the, the whole of humanity is here. It's uh, <laughs> it's Vanity Fair.
1: Oh, it's all about Vanity yeah. Fair. Yes, that's where we let loose and have a little bit of fun. Um, what are you most excited to see tonight? to see. Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone?
0: Um not not no no one in
1: particular. Okay. Well, what are you wearing tonight then? Uh, just my suit. <laughs> 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 so he's um he's found his niche and I'm enjoying It was enjoying just
0: was not having any of it. Yeah. That was both. That was your number eight. Eight. My number seven. So, what's your number seven though, Kevin?
1: My number seven is Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. You have a choice between saving one person and saving every world. I can do both. You can't run forever, kid.
0: Oh, okay. It's an honourable mention for me. It's not on my list. I had a
1: feeling this wouldn't be on your list. So, for me, this was the most dazzling film of 2023. It was eye-poppingly gorgeous, just stunning visuals. Every single second on screen was a sight to behold. It was brilliantly written, uh, although I can imagine that for you, maybe... It ending on a cliffhanger is why it's not higher up on your list, but for me, the story that was being told mm-hmm. um, was so inventive, so fun. It's directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. Uh, of course, it's got a lot of you know influence in there from the producers on it, Lord and Miller. But it is a sequel to 2018's Into the Spider Verse. I wish we were getting the third one sooner. It looks like that one's been pushed way back. But for me, this was one of the few multiverse stories um, of the last few years that has felt the most engaging and entertaining. i really enjoyed this. So Moz Morales in this is back. But in this one, he is teaming up with multiple different Spider people from all the different multiverses out there. So you've got Spider Gwen. You have Oscar Isaac as sort of the head of this Avengers task force. You've a woman who is heavily pregnant and rides a motorcycle. And uh, it just had some fantastic moments. The love affair that happens between Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales. It was gorgeous. It was so beautiful just on screen, but also so much sentiment was coming through that I I just felt swept up in this film and to see it on the big screen as well. I think it felt Like it pushed the envelope so far that every other animated film felt like it just wasn't trying hard enough. I loved Mm. that all the different spider characters were bonded by a a trauma event that that was, that was a Canon event that had to happen. And so this Spider-Man, this Miles Morales had to sort of reconcile with, he needed to lose somebody in order to become Spider-Man to become the fully realized version of himself. Mm. And he couldn't prevent that from happening to others. So when he tried to interfere and save people, like in the Mumbai Spider-Verse, the ramifications of that just blew up in his face. But yeah, I'm so keen to see the third one. I absolutely loved it. And best animated film of the year, even though it may not be the most satisfying animated film of the year. But for me, I had to put it on my list. So my number seven, Cross the Spider-Verse
0: you re- you're right the reason it's not in my top 10 is because for me i felt i was getting half of the story films are shit my number 6 this is another ip movie another ip movie and i it was it was always going as soon as i saw it i was, i knew it was going to be a top 10 film and here we are at the end of the year and sure enough it's number 6 on my list it is barbie <laughs>
1: What can I do you for? I just had to come see you about my feet. Flat. What do I
0: have to do? You have to go to the real world. I'm coming with you.
1: We haven't played with Barbie since we were like five years old. Ow. I'm not good enough for anything. I think you're just right.
0: I just learned to cry. First, I got one tear and then I got a whole
1: bunch. Oh. Is it on your list, Kevin? Nope. Sorry Barbie well it is surely
0: on my list don't know if i have to tell anyone the plot but i i re, another one another one of these films that i rewatched it with the family and on second watch i enjoyed it even more i you know i'm sure everyone out there has actually seen the film at this stage but it's essentially a magical realism story about what if barbie was real and and barbie land existed somewhere out in the pacific uh, but was somehow uh, which is not fully explained in the story is connected to people in the real world it really is a story about uh, so many things i was impressed by this film because it was fun poppy colorful effervescent joyous hilarious but also it was dealing with so many big ideas like the effect of the patriarchy challenges of being a woman in a modern world, and also just about the challenges of of being alive as a human being on this planet. It really tackles an awful lot of big, big, heady ideas in a very entertaining and accessible way. I thought Margot Robbie was absolutely brilliant in it, but even greater than her, I thought Ryan Gosling as Ken was just fucking amazing he was amazing he's got such great comic chops it's
1: definitely the Barbie and Ken movie
0: yes and a criticism that you had it should which almost I, be called Barbie and Ken oh maybe the sequel will be Barbie and Ken maybe oh, the yeah. sequel will be Barbie and Ken but I think but you're going to one of the main kind of like points of like the end of the, the end of the movie is you know Ken is saying but it's Barbie and Ken and that's one of the big kind of moral lessons that the film is trying to teach us. Well, maybe it's just Barbie and it's just Ken, you know, that you could just be, we, could, we can have our own identity aside from being attached to
1: uh, another. We can just. Where are the fat Kens? That's what I wanted to know. You've got fat Barbies. Where are the fat Kens? We need fat Kens you in do. there. For me. It but was... basically
0: what I will say is this, that I know you had a criticism about the Mattel Corporate, uh, corporation plotline the Will Ferrell corpora- corporation plotline I
1: yeah it felt too yeah, Austin posed I, for me I can agree
0: with segment. you I think that maybe that plot would have been better served the time spent watching that plot would have been better served with more Barbie and Ken stuff but I kind of admire the film that it in the real world yes in the real real world yes but yet, like, if it was more of a clash of cultures. Yes. Um, but I still kind of admired that they they swung at the company itself and kind of like, it may be a bit off a little bit more than it could chew in that particular instance. And it doesn't really matter at the end of, uh, you know, in in, in the final acts, they're very much sidelined. That plot is very much kind of kept to the side. On saying that, I still thought this film was just so funny, so delightful. And um, I'm glad that it's out there for, my daughter from my kids to see as they go into the adolescent stage of their lives. And, uh, yeah, I genuinely thought it was a
1: fun, fun, fun film. Cool. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Found it very entertaining, just too, too long. And, uh, yeah, I, if you cut out the whole Will Ferrell section, like completely got rid of it, the film would have been more effective for me. Uh, but Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I enjoyed it enough, I'll say it's very in my top good. 20. That was my number six. Just behind six.
0: Flash. Just behind Flash. That was my number six. What about what's your number six, Kevin?
1: My number six is Anatomy of a Fall. Oh, okay.
0: I saw this. It's in my top twenty. I just want you to know one thing. I'm not a monster.
1: I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. <clears throat> I don't know what happened. I think you fell off that third floor. The window's open. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death. Because you were the only person there. And of course, you're his wife.
0: Stop. I did not kill him. That's not the point.
1: You had a fight the day before he died.
0: You need to start seeing yourself the way others are going to perceive you.
1: Is there anything that would seem consistent with a suicide?
0: You have to tell them exactly like you remember it.
1: You complain about the life that you chose. You are not a victim. Not at all. Be fair. I am a man who's been cheated on. I can't stand anymore. I'm fight it. Yes, I am.
0: I'm innocent. You know that, right?
1: This is more like a did they, didn't they type of who done It follows a very aloof protagonist, a woman played by Sandra Hewler. And she is sort of an Amanda Knox type protagonist in that she's hard to fully empathize with. There's something slightly standoffish about her and she feels uh, condescending while trying to connect. But it follows a, a trial where she is being investigated or she's being charged really with the potential murder of her husband who had a fall and we don't see the fall happening. We just see the young son who is blind or partially blind because of a mishap that happened while under the care of his dad. And uh, they're having a strained period in their marriage, her and her husband. They both come across his supine body on the icy floor outside their chalet, their cabin, that's somewhere in France. And he seems to have fallen from the second story of the house and he's dead, but the police are less sure that that's what happened. And so they start to investigate this fall. It had moments in it where there's an argument that happens, but the midpoint of the film where the, the husband is an author. So he's been recording conversations and throughout the, the trial, they're sort of doling out more and more information to us as an audience. So we're learning more about what potentially could have happened. And we're sort of having to reevaluate our impression and our interpretation of the the, the events and the main character. So we hear this argument that happens and then they cut. So they show us this fight and that was one of the most riveting sort of screaming match arguments that I've seen certainly in recent memory where both people are very intelligent, very passionate and they're both fighting from a position of integrity and authority. So they're both in the right. And it's just sort of like seeing, mm-hmm. it just felt more exciting to watch that than most of the action films, the action sequences of this year, just to see two people tear strips off each other, with what they think of each other and the performances from the whole cast are just fucking phenomenal. There's a kid in it and his name is Milo Machado, I think it is, Mm. or Machado. He's a fucking great actor as well. Even the Mm. dog in it is brilliant. There's a moment where the dog has been drugged. It's taken a lot of aspirin and I was looking at it thinking, how the fuck did they get the dog to perform like that? Where his eyes were crossed and his tongue was hanging out and he was foaming at the mouth. But um, it's sort of a whodunit. I don't want to tell you what way it it ends up, but it's a long enough film. That could probably be one of the things that I think some people might, um, ding it for, but I was captivated by it. And also the fact that this was a different type of court case, a different type of trial that I've not seen before. You know, I'm so used to seeing the American system with objections sustained or the, you know, the, the British system of like order order to see this where it's more like a round table Mm. with a panel of judges, And it's very conversational. So if you are the defendant, you can jump in and you can defend yourself in the moment or they can put questions to you. I just thought that this is a much more humane and sensible way of trying cases because you know, you're immediately on the spot. You've got to be present and active and engaged in your own defense trial. So if someone says something wrong, you can say that's not true because we would meet regularly. So I didn't feel that at the time and the judges are listening to this and so I thought, yeah, why aren't more cases like that rather than you sitting there in silence while your barrister or your, your lawyer is arguing everything for you. Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great.
0: I, I think that's really interesting, Kevin, because I, I watched it as well and I'm surprised it didn't end up in my top 10. And I think maybe you identified part of the reason it didn't end up there. And I think it was because I I disliked the parents I just like the couple in this thing it's not like I, I really I was kind of I was repelled by them as persons but on saying that I absolutely loved the kid and his dog like I loved how the story made them such central figures uh, in at the end up I adore that and you were right in saying that it's quite long where I where I I would kind of um I thought I had a different feeling. Uh, with regards to what you said about the uh, judicial system, I and I, 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 it's absolutely based on fact that the, you know, in in France, you can the defendant can just kind of they can put questions to the defendant while they're interrogating a uh, a witness. I found it um, appalling that there's a judicial system where they can just kind of like turn to the defendant, and go, "What do you say about that?" Because it takes it's it, it, because I, I think it's. I think it's appalling because I think that's very, very open to exploitation. I think it takes the focus away on the facts and it makes it much more about like who can who can win Emotional this verbal argument? Yeah, and who can win this verbal argument in the room, you know, ultimately, rather than let's focus on the actual facts here and present a factual cold case. Where, whereas if there's a back and forth, then I think someone innocent could easily guess. Hung to dry very, very quickly in, uh, in, uh, you know, using that, that message of now I really think it's open to, uh, to, to manipulation. But for the purposes of the film, it was actually quite compelling because you're right. They could turn to her and say, well, what do you think about this? And she could, she could, um, counter some things we being saying or adds to some things that we're saying so for the purpose of the drama I thought it was um, very effective uh, it just stayed out it, it just stayed out off my top 10 because it was quite long and I felt at a distance for, from those that couple who I really just didn't care about them and their purposes but I fucking cared about the kid and his dog so um, I still think it's well <laughs> worth a watch but I was kind of following my heart when I was making my list, and it didn't make my top 10 as a result of that. But still, a very, very good film, and uh, I agree with you. You should people should watch it.
1: I have questions still about the film that uh, I'd love to be able to interrogate with you and get your take on it, but um, I can't do that mm. without spoiling it, so yeah, let's not spoil. I had this conversation with friends at a Christmas party, and um, we were debating certain aspects of the story and uh, where it goes. So, yeah. Was that your number six, Kevin? It was.
0: So what's your... Okay, so... Are you a number six number or number five? five for me. Lovely jubbly. So my <laughs> number five is a film that might be on your list as well. I'm not sure. But it is a film that, I again, I just watched this past weekend... Because I, I saw, you know, it's been there, it's been on streaming for a while. I said, I better watch this. And it is, Are You There God? It's Me Margaret. That's my number five. Is it on your list, Kevin? It's not on my list.
1: <gasps> oh my
0: God. Okay, so, Are You There God? It's Me Margaret. <laughs> no, it
1: is on my list. It okay. is on my so list. So we will
0: hold off talking about it.
1: I'm just trying... <laughs>
0: <laughs> trying to make things a little bit more uh, less flowy, um, so that was my number five. Uh, we'll talk about it when we get to it. What is your number five, Kevin? My number five is Killers of the
1: Flower Moon. It's supposed to be a suicide. You dumbbell. You didn't tell him to leave the gun. I don't know, I know why. It. I told him to leave the gun. I told, I told him, him to leave the gun. Just, just like you told him. Kid? I don't know why I didn't. I don't know why. I told him just like you told him. You told him to do it in the front of the head, and why did he do it in the back of the head? It's too so simple. The front is the front, the back is the back. Man, he has to make it look like he done himself. It just looks like murder. It's not supposed to be that way. You hear? I told him the front of the head. I said the front of the head, just like this, just like you told me. I, I promise you, I promise you that I swear on my children. No, 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 no. I no, swear no, on my children, no, no, no. okay? No, no, no. Sit on it. it. And Don't swear on your children. makes you look foolish. Well, I ain't. I ain't foolish because i have gonna... never. Really?
0: I'm interested. Killers of the Flower Moon is your number five. You just watched this last night. Tell me about it.
1: So it's not on your list it's at all? It's not in my top ten.
0: No. Hmm. It was, let me see here, it's an honourable mention. Okay.
1: Um, It's a Scorsese film. His films are always top ten worthy. He doesn't miss, uh, rarely misses. Maybe Hugo and things like that are something that I probably wouldn't put on my top ten list. So it's a period film that many people probably, well, what can I say? Most people probably know what it's about, but it's about the Osage Nation who in the 1920s, this is based on a book as well. So it's a historical moment in American history, but the Osage Nation on this reservation, they discover oil, which makes the First Nation people, the Native Americans, incredibly wealthy. And of course that brings into the reservation, these nefarious characters, one of them played by Robert De Niro, who is, he likes to be called King, King Hale. And he has enacted a conspiracy with a lot of these racists who live on the reservation to exploit, finagle the wealth away from the First Nation people by marrying into the families and then murdering the spouses so that the money will pass toward the spouse and then flow towards the white people. And Leonardo DiCaprio plays a nephew of Robert De Niro who comes back from the war. He's a bit of a simpleton. There are things about the story that I questioned, which was I wasn't sure when he became fully part of the scheme, the murder plot, and when he was oblivious to it. Uh, It's got an interesting structure. Very, 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 very long, three and a half hours long. But yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio marries one of these five sisters, Molly played by Lily Gladstone, who has got to be a lock at this stage for a Best Supporting Actress or Best Actress uh, Oscar nomination. Mm -hmm. And they methodically start poisoning the family members with heroin or out and out just like executing them. And it's all to get the money to flow towards them through Inheritance forces you to sit in this uncomfortable space of watching these beautiful people, this incredible culture, these generous people, compassionate and loving people just get destroyed by these bastards and they don't let you off the hook. You have to sit there and experience it because this took years and years and years to carry out. Meanwhile, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's genuinely in love with Molly, one of the the sisters, actively trying to kill her while still having children with her, loving her and wanting to protect her from his uncle, who is, Rob De Niro is incredible in this. He's a Freemason. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can tell that DiCaprio's character of Ernest is um, afraid of him. It takes Mm -hmm. its time to tell the story. The third act, Jesse Clemens comes into it and he's like a welcome relief where him and the FBI agents start investigating this crime uh, after a, a number of the sisters have been killed. And yeah, I found it very interesting how the story ends up where it becomes almost, there's like a coda at the end of the film where Scorsese cameos as like um, a radio actor who's performing the tale of the Osage Nation murders for this laughing crowd in a concert hall and uh and i felt like that he was commenting on this story which was a terrible crime that was committed and uh, heartbreaking that it just became entertainment and almost forgotten Mm -hmm. about like an american myth it broke my heart and i thought the performances were fantastic the film looked stunning I really loved it. I can see where some people might feel that the structure is off balance and it throws them off and it feels a bit repetitive or, or maybe a better word to use, exhaustive of um, an approach to the story. But I loved it. I thought it was a great film and another banger from Scorsese.
0: I thought it was a very powerful film. I, was, I saw it in a cinema and I was expecting a toilet break halfway through, and I couldn't. I just I was locked in, and then when <laughs> I left, the, the toilets barricaded up, and I couldn't urinate. And it was the first. Ah, oh, was just. It was just so. So. So it added to that sense of, uh, of the discomfort sons? of this feeling of. Because the kidney, <laughs> kidneys, toes, bladder that was about to explode. Um, but there, but that was the the sense that the Scorsese obviously intended was to not let you, the audience, off the hook with the story, not to give you any sort of breathing room to to um to feel like this is entertainment. So he I, it's purposefully uh, harrowing uh, that, in, in my eyes. And that framing device kind of confirms it really, or not the, the kind of closing bookend device they have, it confirms it. I think it has a gorgeous final image. I absolutely thought it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. So um, so just, uh, just a stunning, stunning final image in the, in the film. I agree with you. She's, um, uh, the, the lead actress is going to, Definitely get an Oscar nomination. Leonardo DiCaprio probably as well. Um, and De Niro. It's great, it is a very, very good film. It's very, very harrowing. Oh uh, yeah, and De Niro as well. A again, I uh, it's not a might, It's an honorable mention for me. It didn't make my top ten list because I just these other films that I have on my list m- moved me in ways in more affecting ways. Um, and uh, that's the reason it's not there. But yeah, a very good film. A very, very good film. That was your number five, five. Kevin. Am I right in saying that? You're right in saying that good now it is number four for me and it's a film that I don't think you've seen but it is the f- it is an animated movie and it comes from Japan it's I know the film it is a film called says says <laughs>
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say the boy and the heron. No, this one is
0: called sesame, or, or how that's how one of the characters pronounces sesame is a not. I've not seen this. Song.
1: Tell me all about it.
0: Make me it want is to watch. Gorgeous. It, it is really, really. It's a beautiful film. So it's from the director, Mikoto Shinkai, who also directed Ah. Your Name, which is brilliant, which came up in Body Swap and Weathering with You, a film that... I am going to watch over the over the holidays. This is kind of a film that follows that, if you've seen Your Name, it's a story about a girl who's Saisame. She's a teenager. Uh, she's an orphan. She's lost her mother. She's living with her aunt. And she is on her way to school When she passes this handsome, mysterious guy who's walking the other way, who's looking for directions to a kind of abandoned building somewhere, she's kind of uh, intrigued by him. And she turns about and she follows him. What ends up happening is she gets pulled into this magical, fantastical plot, which involves... It's almost like Godzilla, where it's this this guy is a uh, a guy whose 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 job is to prevent natural disasters happening to the country. And but it's it's like they manifest as severe earthquakes, but in actual fact, it's it's all let's say the earthquake is is happening from these giant invisible creatures who emerge from the ground, laying waste to the lands. You know, so his job is to try and stop these natural disasters occurring before they destroy buildings and kill countless lives and all this sort of stuff. And poor Sesame gets in the way and causes everything to kind of fuck up so it's a race against time with her trying to fix things so your man gets his power back so he can stop a terrible disaster that's going to befall the country essentially and in the confusion his soul somehow magically gets transported into a small little child's chair <laughs> so, she, so so he is this, this handsome teenager is stuck in the small little toddler seat that she has to carry around the country as she is on this quest to try and stop natural disasters happening. It sounds ridiculous. It sounds mad. But my God, it is so it, it's so magical. It is it's so humanist because ultimately at this at the core of the story it's about It's about dealing with loss again. This little girl is, you know, dealing with the loss of her mother, but also it seems that, you know, these films are dealing with a kind of collective trauma that the people of Japan have experienced across decades from, you know, of course, from Hiroshima, but even in more more recent years with the tsunami, you know, in 2012. And it feels like this country, uh, Japan, the nation, those people seem to be always on edge because, great disasters and great trauma is is inevitably always just around the corner. And it's, I think it's just such a beautiful portrait of people figuring out how to live life with that weight always bearing down upon them. That sense of loss, but also like, you know, of trying to figure out you can still love, you can still live life, you can still be joyous and have fun while also managing the terrible grief that comes with with that experiences, and it's all portrayed in, in this gorgeous lens that you get. You, you, if you've seen your name, you'll see that the type of scope and spectacle that uh, this filmmaker actually can achieve in his stories, but also the intimacy that you feel in how it's all it all happens through the lens of just a couple of characters. So it's dealing with tragedy and loss, but also it's about love and healing and I came out of that film with tears in my eyes but very very satisfied at the end of it I thought it was just a beautiful story and I can't recommend it highly enough Sesame go see it or download it or whatever you do to, um, to watch it because it's a great great film it's my number four
1: brilliant pod but here listen i think you should know that during this recording the lads were dealing with a three second delay you can see what they were up against on the video version of this episode on their patreon however on this audio release you're getting the best work around the lads could think to do which was to not talk to each other while the other is speaking the feckin' in okay my number four is when evil lurks and that's definitely not on your list Santísima Don Luis Ay Dios mío ¿Qué va a hacer? ¿Qué va a hacer? Hijo de puta No Mira lo que trajeron Trajeron lo peor que podían haber traído a mi tierra Dispare Don Ruiz, no dispare, por favor, no dispare. No tengo que hacer con esta basura. No, 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 así no se mata la maldad, don Ruiz. Va a ser peor. Si no lo mata, haga. se muere por usted. Favor, no lo haga. Se nos va a meter en nuestro cuerpo. Se nos va a meter en nuestra alma. No lo haga, por favor. Va a ser peor. Va a ser peor. Lo no, no tiene que hacer alguien que sepa hacerlo. No, ¡Callate, hija de puta! Ah.
0: I've not even heard of this. What is, is it When Evil Lurks?
1: Or Where Evil Lurks? What is it? When Evil Lurks. This is not a Will film. Definitely not a Will film. And I'm surprised that it's a me film. It's a horror film from Argentina. It's from the director of *Terrifier*, which I haven't seen. Okay. It is set in a remote village in Argentina when two brothers find a man infected with a demon about to give birth to evil itself. And they try to stop this from happening and all hell breaks loose. It is violent. It is fearless. It is filled with moments where I audibly went, what the fuck? I could not believe what I was seeing. It was horrifying. It pulled no punches. Uh, it's very pretty looking. And in amongst all that, this town is ravaged by a demon that travels from victim to victim. The filmmaker hates kids. In the story anyway. This is where it comes off. Jeez. You have no idea Like you have no idea There was a moment in the film So this father who's estranged from his His ex-wife who has his two kids The neighbor calls them across And they are terrified because their son Who's morbidly obese and it looks like The the greed victim from Seven They need a specialist To come in to get the demon Out of him, they cannot kill him If they kill him, that's like It ruptures, the demon is out there How can I put this? You're going to think that I'm a psychopath for recommending this. Children are killed in this film, and they're killed. Yeah, I'm I'm Wow, I'm struggling to see how this is your number four. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting
0: to keep going. I'm just
1: fascinated. It would I said to you or I alluded to this when we did our favorite films of the year. If I can audibly have a reaction to a film That is like, you've, you've done something to me where you've tapped into my nervous system and I'm just involuntarily reacting to how good the film is. So if I laugh out loud, that's a great comedy. If I'm watching a horror film and going like, oh my fucking God, no, or like, ah, then you have succeeded. Most of the times when I'm watching a horror film, I'm just sort of like unnerved, but this was terrifying. It is brilliantly performed by everybody. How do I put it? <clears throat> There's there was a moment when this guy, the demon has been unleashed. It's spreading through the town. There's nothing they can do. They've got to get out of town. Uh and get as far away from it. They go to a woman who feels like she has a sense of how to stop this. It feels apocalyptic. The ex-wife comes to snatch the kids. Oh Christ. Anyway, there's a moment where there's one of the brothers <laughs> is driving slowly down this road with the headlights on and he's looking at what's illuminated in this complete darkness and it's the ex-wife and she's holding the four-year-old child and he's following behind it and I swear to you, I was like, you, you've got to be fucking kidding me. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was, it's the most horrifying image of the entire year. Oppenheimer, put that in your pipe and smoke it. It really stunned me. And it's an amazing fucking film. Amazing. There's only one thing that I could say about it that is a bit artificial, and that is the rear projection in some of the, the driving scenes. But other than that, it's a beautiful looking film.
0: Okay.
1: Very, very effective. And it's the best horror film of the year. It just blows every other film out of the water. I haven't even tried to explain to you what it is because I don't want to be in bad taste. But, um, yeah, there's a moment with a dog. Okay. A moment but With, you, a, with a big bulldog or not a bulldog, like a, like a mastiff and this little girl and the dad is frantic and he's trying to tell his ex wife, he needs to take the kids. They need to go now. And she's like, get out of here. What are you talking about? And his little girl is sitting there next to this big mastiff dog. And they're cutting to the dog, And you feel like, oh God, something, something awful is going to happen. And the dad is frantic and he, she's like not listening to him and it keeps coming back to the dog. And then the dog does the thing which you don't expect it to, you don't want it to do, but they do it and they don't shy away from it. And it is nightmare fuel, nightmare fuel. um, Oh my
0: God. Oh my God. I
1: want you to watch it. I want you to watch it because it'll put hairs on your chest. Oh, you want to know something? You've piqued my interest. You've piqued my interest. There are no jump scares in it. It's all mood, atmosphere, incredible visual effects, incredible special effects, incredible performances, beautiful to look at. It's a real movie and it disturbed me. And I like my horror films. It disturbed me I cannot believe That they got away with it Is it a US film? No it's from Argentina They're all speaking Spanish
0: Oh Yep Wow Okay Wow Wow, wow, wow. I'm putting it on my watch list
1: oh, You have to report back to me When you've seen it You it's have to... to report back to me Yeah. Just know this I think yeah. the filmmaker Despises that... children Yes So enjoy <laughs> all right. All right, Well listen This is going to be The interesting thing I mean that's why I loved it <laughs> it's a great christmas (laughs)
0: film put it on christmas eve i think it's it's great that's what i was thinking i was actually thinking christmas eve i think that might be the appropriate time to put it on that was your number four so i will bring us on to my number three and i'm curious to see i know you've spoken about this in the past i'm curious to see if it's on your list we're going to be overlapping a lot now. i think maybe my number three is past lives. My number two is past lives. Well, let's hold off on us <laughs> discussing past lives until we reach number two. And so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to throw it back to you, Kevin, and I want to hear what your number three is, please.
1: And I'm going to tell you what my number three is and my number three... <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing a TV live link up. Thank you, Will. It's great to be here with you today and... That's the only way. Because that's the... It's the
0: only way to bridge the, 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 the lag. Is to kind of clearly kind of go, no, you speak, Kevin. No, you put it back to me. Tell me when I should speak and I tell you when you should speak. It's the only way we can manage
1: it. It's great to be here with you, will and to tell you my number three. <laughs> I've tallied up the votes and after a lot of deliberation, <laughs> my number three yes. is, along with my number two and my number one, a five-star film. I am splitting hairs okay. between the top three. Okay. I could move them around depending on how I'm feeling but all three are perfect films not perfect I wouldn't change a thing about them my number three is are you there god it's me margaret are you there god it's me margaret I'm here to speak to you today about your changing bodies the blood is released through the vagina please just do this one thing for me Let me just be normal and regular like everybody else. Just please, 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 please. It gets tiring. Trying so hard all the time, doesn't it? Do you think any of us will look like
0: that when we're 19?
1: And I am shocked that I was in my top three and I wouldn't have even put it in my top 20 as like an impression of what that film would be like, but people recommended it. Um, It was on other people's lists and I decided in order to complete the set and to make sure I watched as many films as I could that, that were in contention. I watched it and I was bowled over. It's the funniest film of the year for me. Yeah, it's incredibly sweet. The little girl who is played by Abby Ryder Fortson, she is a fantastic little actress. She's so charming, so uh, so bright, mm. and and all the little uh, the child actors in it are brilliant. But I'm not aware of the backstory to this. Uh, I was talking about it at a Christmas party, and I mentioned to them, I was like, lads, listen, I I know I'm going to sound nuts here now, but You've got to watch Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. It's fantastic. And one of the, the uh, girls who was with us said, oh, that's based on the Judy Bloom books, which everybody in Ireland read mm-hmm. when they were about to enter puberty. And so it's it's mm-hmm. a, a very familiar um, property to, to girls. For me, I wasn't familiar with that. So I was just watching this as a period piece, a 1970s coming-of-age film about this little girl who is... Uh, It's going to sound crude, but it's not. She's desperate to enter womanhood and the barrier to womanhood, Mm. uh, as far as she's aware, is getting her period. And so her and uh, these other little girls, she moves to a new town with her parents, played by Richard McAdams and Benny Safdie, who are also brilliant in it. And Richard McAdams is so, so endearing in this. I just found it so bloody charming and very, very funny. I cackled multiple times watching it just over and over again. Kathy Bates is the grandmother was lovely. There was a moment where, you know, she's, she's always praying to God for divine intervention, help her. She needs to, to get her boobs or she needs, she needs to, to um have her period. But there's a moment where she, she's staying with her grandmother. This lovely sort of big Jewish grandmother. Who's just desperate to, to be a part of her granddaughter's life. And she says to her grandmother, can I go to temple? <laughs> and kathy bates who's in bed with an eye mask on she basically just erupts out of bed she's like we can go in the morning (laughs) she's like so excited and it's just full of this Mm. ebullient enthusiastic like they're they're charging into life they have no idea what what's coming towards them and they're just so excitable and and clueless and uh and it's very sweet as well and yeah i didn't realize i would get emotional for a little girl having her period but it's so lovely of a film.
0: That's exactly what I messaged you. I said, I've, I never knew I would cry hearing that a girl got her period. And my God, did I, did, I, did I weep. I thought that was number five on my list. I thought it was wonderful. I really, really thought it was such a beautiful, tender, gentle uh, a portrait of what it must feel like to go through that stage of your life. And it, honest to God, it made me kind of ache. Because, like, I've got kids who are, like, hurtling towards their own adolescences. And it made me kind of, like, you know, hurt that that they're, that they're gradually, their childhood is gradually, gradually going to slip away and that things are going to change for them. But it also, the film made me look forward to the fact that I'm, you know, I'm privileged to be in a position to be with them as they kind of navigate those turbulent waters, because, in the film, you see Rachel McAdams as the mom and um, Benny, Sa- Benny Safdie as the dad, but they have such a nice relationship with their daughter, and they're just trying to figure it out. And I kind of, I kind of, oh geez, I kind of feel like I hope I have that same kind of relationship um, with my own kids as they go through that that particular phase.
1: There was a lovely scene where uh, this there's almost a, the, the demarcation happens between childhood and adolescence, and Richard McAdams sort of steps outside, and you just linger with her as she sort of like realizing that her the the child that she had is now coming this other person, and um this little poignant moment of like reflection of like oh uh, she's growing up, and um but it was filled with that, but it's just in terms of coming of age stories, this is one of the best there's ever been like to the entire genre. This is a note. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Like you judge films on what they intend to do and what they are. And you can't really compare them between whether this is a comedy or this is a horror film or this is a drama or this is a prestige film or whatever. But this, it had a target and boy did it hit it. It was, it's so entertaining, so lovely and good natured. And, um, yeah, you've got to watch it. Like we're both middle-aged guys, and we we loved it so much. I think for mm-hmm. for oh god, for little girls, this has got to be required viewing at some stage. Just to just to take some of the anxiety away of growing up.
0: And I also absolutely loved the. The drama that's at the core of Rachel McAdams and her own parents, and how that is all just so gently teased out from the point of view of her, of the of Margaret herself, a little girl, and how she has this revelation that, hey, second, why did, why have I never met my parents from Ohio? And how that storyline is just so gradually and uh, yeah yeah sorry grandparents and so gradually but organically teased out, and you feel again the it's 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 an amazing. Example of how the stakes don't have to be the end of a universe in a story. You know, the stakes can just be: is are we going to survive the next few days with these people in the house, sort of thing? And you know, you know, if you if you set it right, if you set your stall right, you can create a, a completely captivating and mesmerizing piece of drama which this is but i just loved it i just really thought it was a wonderful film
1: it also explained to me where that saying comes from the one that i've heard over the years which is i must i must i must increase my bust i was like i've heard that before i didn't know from where (laughs) (laughs) and there's a few cuts where the girls are just like furiously trying to exercise to increase their busts because they're all flat-chested and it's it's so charming and funny and yeah i loved it top three for me but it could have been my number two it could have been my number one it's just it's how the wind uh, is blowing
0: this is an example of how this year the the really unexpected films have made it into the top tens and some of the big hitters are just outside of the top 10 like that's one of those films that you know i'm like going did not expect that one to be there
1: neither of us have said oppenheimer yet no We have not said
0: Oppenheimer. Maybe we will. Maybe we will. Did you just go, was that your number three? That was my number three. What's your number two? Well, my number two is another animated film from Japan. And it is one that you've already called out, is The Boy and the Heron.
1: This world that we're in. It will only last one more. Have you seen this? Yes, I have. I thought it was okay. It didn't make my top twenty, but you know, I've not seen it. Of course, I've not seen it. I'm not in the academy, <sighs> okay? So I don't have access to that screener. Tell me, okay. Will, why is this your number two film of the year? A lot of animated films on your list. Well,
0: uh, I think I just two. I have two animated films in my list. So um, two too, too many. Yeah, listen, I'll, I'm surprised I don't have a documentary under as well. Too too many. Um, it, this is supposedly Heo Miyazaki's final, final film, and I've counted them. He has retired seven times. He has said he's going to retire seven times, and he's always come back to make another one. So I'll believe it when I see it. It sounds like us in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what I loved about the release of this film is that they didn't. There was there was no build up to the release of this film. They just said th- there was just an announcement that the new Miyazaki Studio Ghibli movie is going to be out this Friday. There was no trailer, there was no plot description, there was no synopsis, and it just released into cinemas. And now it has been released in the US, and it has made a shit ton of money. I don't know how much it's made, and maybe it's made a hundred million, an absolute shit ton of money. And This is a Japanese animated 2D movie, which is brilliant to give you a a very brief synopsis of what this is about it's set during the second world war it is uh, and it centers on a character a young boy called mahito and he's haunted by his mother's tragic death as a result of the bombing that's happening in tokyo he's relocated to a lovely serene rural home with his new stepmother and she's a woman who bears a kind of a striking resemblance to his own mother so as he's in this new place which, you know, they have assistants and and uh, his dad's working in a factory or I think his dad's running a factory nearby and stuff like that. He's exploring his new world and things get even stranger when this weird grey heron makes persistent appearances around the place and it begins speaking to him. And the grey heron call, actually tells him that he is a long-awaited one and poor Mejito is pulled in again into this fantastical world much like Spirited Away where he's pulled into this other world where he meets fantastical creatures in amazing scenes it's really ultimately much like Spirited Away and all these other films they're deeply intimate this one feels very like autobiographical because I know that uh, Miyazaki himself was born during the war well before born before the war but had to um, flee Japan I think his mother died quite young where his dad ran, a, a, I think, a, a aircraft uh, company, engineering company and stuff like that. So you see elements from his own life are imbued into this film and, again, feels completely fantastical and otherworldly, but also incredibly personal and semi-autobiographical, if it makes any sense. At times, he meets characters in there that feel like they are... They're almost like uh, representations of himself, Miyazaki, at different stages in his life. Like he meets an old uh, an old wise character, the kind of like lord of this magical realm. And at times it feels like Miyazaki himself speaking to his younger self. He's kind of like detached and kind of a little bit cold and sees the world in a certain way. But I don't want to spoil too much of the film. It, and it really is one of those films that you, you can speak about it in great platitudes but ultimately it's one of those films that you have to watch because it is like he's like David Lynch in a sense that it feels like he's working in a dream logic way of make telling his stories that one is one scene is flowing um, organically into the next scene and you don't really know where it's going where everything is heading towards and it feels like the filmmaker themselves don't really know where it's going because that's the nature of the way he traditionally tells his stories as they, they kind of, they're just like, they're like dream journals almost, but beautifully animated, amazing. And so, you know, it's a wonderful way to spend two hours to be swept up in a, a Miyazaki, uh, you know, Fantasia, really. Um, and he again kind of proves like he's one of the greatest animation directors that's ever lived and this is a, another testament to that. It's just glorious, a wonder to behold. And if it is his final film, it's a wonderful swan song. It really is a wonderful, wonderful ah, he'll swan be back. song. And again, it kind of culminates, he'll be back, I believe. He'll be back. He's going to do Despicable Me 6. That's what I think. Mean. He's going to come back and do a Despicable Me movie. <laughs> I'm recommending it. I think it was. it's an, a, an astounding film, uh, an amazing piece of work. And it's my number two. That's, uh, I'm saying, watch it, Kevin. You should watch that film It's very good
1: Okay so my number two Will Is I think
0: our final two are overlaps Past Lives really sure how to feel about Childhood sweethearts reconnect connect Only to realise they were meant for each other
1: He was just this kid in my head I think I just missed him Did he miss you? This is my life. This is where I'm supposed to be. Want you to stay. Which is my number three. Number three. We're very number close three. this year. It's it's only the ones that yes I've seen that you haven't seen and that you've seen that I haven't seen, where we have differences. We're very similar in terms of our list. Past lives, directed by Celine Song, starring Greta Lee and Tio Yu. About two childhood friends who grew up in South Mm -hmm. Korea who she emigrates to the United States with her family. They lose touch. They had a special connection, a special bond. They went on a little date together as their final sort of like a few days together in South Korea to give them that special memory. And they reconnect over Facebook 20 years later in their 30s and they agree to meet. And it is a very tender, sweet, story about reconnection past lives and about unrequited love. And it has what Miyazaki has in a lot of his films. Ma. There's a lot of ma in this film. Mm -hmm. There are no histronics. It's very romantic. It's um, very subtle. Uh, It has one of the best scenes of the year for me. It opens the movie with you're looking at these, this couple and this sort of third wheel, these three people at a bar and you're hearing the voices of people that you never see in, in the movie mm. couple across the bar who are people watching and they're trying to figure out what's their story. And uh, you know the way you would, it's like, who do you think they are and how do you think they know each other? And then the film slowly mm-hmm. brings us back to that point, And that scene, we get to sit in with those characters from their perspective And I found it really beautiful and moving. It was my number one for the longest, longest, longest time. It's still a perfect film. I hope it gets Oscar nominated and it gets all the awards thrown at it. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I I think at this stage, everybody's aware that this is one to watch. And if they haven't seen it, they're going Mm -hmm. to see it. And if they have seen it, they probably love it as much as I do. But I thought it was truly a wonderful film made me feel things that I've not felt through any of the other films throughout the year. And, um, yeah, I kind of love unrequited love stories or platonic love stories, you know, love stories between friends. There's something where Hmm. that final step hasn't been taken. And there's just that ache of regret and longing on top of all the other emotions that I just find so potent and resonant and, This has got that in speeds. It's beautiful. Watch it. But you also loved it. Tell me what you loved about it. Yeah.
0: I, I thought it was so, so gentle and hushed, yet it felt so weighty and cosmic. I adored... The way they dropped in this little concept of yun. I think you mentioned mm. it, we were discussed it before. This yun, this idea that you know, uh, in, in in South Korean uh, Buddhism, I believe there's this idea that you know we're 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 living multiple lives, thousands of lives, and that we keep bumping into the same characters or the same individuals or uh, you know across those lives, and some in of different those people, combinations we're kind of gravit gravitationally. Yeah, yeah, not, sometimes it's going to be out of whack, sometimes it's going to be in whack. And so it adds, it adds this layer of weight. I wonder what to we were doing particular in our relationship.
1: other uh, cosmic <laughs> life. <laughs> we were probably rival Formula One drivers. <laughs>
0: I was thinking we might have been like um, Statler and War- Waldorf up and uh, with that already in the, in the Muppets characters in were uh, that <laughs> uh, already. Uh, this sort what it feels like. But I, I, I thought it was so mature, and it was obviously deeply personal because you know it seems that the main character seems to be very much based on Celine Song's own personality. Um, but what I, what what I found very very moving about it was. How open it was and how she was so open with her husband about her feelings and what was going on and how he was understandably very neurotic and mature about how he dealt with the scenario. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but
1: he had a lovely line in it where he said, well... When you have these blended families or people that come from different worlds, different backgrounds, different cultures, no matter how close you get, there's always that aspect of them that you can never truly know or, or understand that you'll always be a foreigner in that part of their life and their story. So you are the outsider's perspective. And he says in that moment where he says that you dream in Korean and, uh, not in English. So he can never be part of her dreams. So I just thought, oh, that's a, that's quite a fascinating observation. But yeah. Because they love yeah. each other. And but how
0: he's it... always going to be.
1: Did you freeze? <laughs> what happened
0: there i got to let that thank you no 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 we, I didn't freeze because I we, we overlapped and, I, and I, I was overlapping with you and I didn't want to interrupt you so I stopped talking but there's a three second leg so that's what oh happened my God. <laughs> that's s- all that happened s- Kevin
1: sabotage Will this um, is yeah I agree game. with
0: you listen ah, listen don't worry about it um, I, I've too late it was f- some past lives my number three uh, my number three, your number two. We are so in lockstep with this, and I am curious. This brings us to my Finally, number one and your number number one, and I am w- wondering if we have the same number one. So I'm gonna what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna if yeah. we don't, we're going to fight. We are going to fight. What I'm gonna do is right. I'm gonna count us in from three, right, and we're gonna lean, lean into the humor that we're out of sync. <laughs> Okay. And I got it, we we're gonna say our but number you know what's one title happen is, is that train. On the
1: actual recording, what? it's probably gonna be that we're in sync. So the recording is we're probably in- <laughs> gonna be married up and it's just in the actual like zoom that we're on yeah. that we're wildly out of sync from yeah. There. So yeah, it's crazy. Well, I, okay gonna, let's like, look at it. Let's think, try to go on. Why the fuck are we talking over each other through the whole fucking thing? And it's like, oh, because now we're in sync. But anyway. Now we're on, in tell sync. Tell me, yeah yeah, yeah. but okay ba,
0: ba. I want us to go to three two one okay I was okay. thinking the same thing three two one right okay three and we're gonna say three two one and name our number one film okay, okay ready yeah three
1: three two two one one the holdovers the holdovers <laughs> how come you would are you have you been have you been pretending to be able to sync this whole time? How could we were able to talk in sync?
0: Oh, yeah, I did. No, because I waited for you to count in and I held off. I didn't say it on three. I actually waited another three. So I probably waited six. What? <laughs> so, yeah. So, I no, listen, no, so it's just it I just tried to no, count it. do it
1: properly. Do it properly. We're okay, do it properly three, and, we'll
0: do, and we'll see how out of sync we are. Okay. okay. This is now for real, right? Yes. Okay. Three. Three. Two. Two one one the holdovers the holdovers
1: uh, i don't know this is not yeah. going to come across to people yeah so <laughs> well will the holdovers for me was the
0: holdovers
1: yes um well do you know what we can we can have a proper like back and forth conversation though. like let's just t- totally like yeah you know throw it back and forth to each other love in on this Alexander mm-hmm. Payne returns with another film with Paul Giamatti that also stars a divine Joy Randolph, who's amazing, and a newcomer called Dominic Sessa, mm-hmm. who feels like he's been acting all his life. This is his first film role. He's amazing in it. This has a Dead Poets Society vibe. It's, it feels like Hal Ashby meets Peter Weir. In a nutshell, the story is about a miserable teacher at an all-boys prep school which i don't know what a prep school is but it's like for me it's a boarding school um and he's forced to remain on campus over christmas with some of his disgruntled and troubled students as well as a grieving school cook sir i don't understand that's glaringly apparent i can't fail this class oh don't sell yourself short mr coates i truly believe that you can
0: Every year at Barton
1: Academy, students, faculty, and staff depart the campus for a two week winter break. But there are always an unfortunate few who have nowhere to go for the holidays. They're known as the holdovers. Mr. Hunnam. Hello, Mary. I heard you got stuck with babysitting duty this year. How'd you manage that?
0: You know, he used to be a student, right? That's why he knows how to inflict maximum pain on us. I thought all the Nazis were hiding in Argentina. Stifle it, Tully.
1: You just earned yourself detention, sir! Being
0: here with you is already one big detention! Son of a bitch! That's another detention!
1: Do you think I want to be babysitting you? No, I was praying your mother would pick up the phone or your father would arrive in a helicopter or a flying saucer My father's dead. You don't tell a boy that's been left behind at Christmas
0: that nobody wants him? What's wrong with you?
1: There's nobody here, okay? You stay out of my way and I'll stay out of yours! Let me sleep
0: in the Now most of the kids dislike you, pretty much hate you. Teachers, too. You know that,
1: right? I find the world a bitter and complicated place, and it seems to feel the same way about me. I think you and I have this in common. I don't think I've ever had a real family Christmas like this before. Thank you, Mary. You're welcome. History is not simply the study of the past. It is an explanation of the present. See, when you say
0: it that way and throw in some pornography, it's a lot easier to understand.
1: (laughs) I'd like to propose a toast to my two unlikely companions. Are you trying to lift down my shirt?
0: No. (laughs) Yes. You're going to get me fired.
1: This is your Rubicon. Do not cross. The it's a Christmas film, it's devoid of sentiment, but by God, I was in floods of tears by the end of it. I fucking loved it and I know that of all the films that have been on my list, there are many that I'll treasure, but this is one that I know that I'm going to come back and watch again and again, and it might end up becoming
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, a film that is in heavy rotation each Christmas because it's gorgeous mm-hmm. and it's gorgeous in a way where it feels unsentimental. Perfect film came from out of nowhere to me. And I yeah. loved it.
0: Listen, I obviously I've it at number one on my list as well.
1: Has that happened before? Where we've both had the same number one.
0: no, but when I first encountered this film was in in Santa Monica where I watched Oppenheimer in this amazing screen, this the trailer for this film played ahead of Oppenheimer. And it oh, caught my attention because the trailer was shot on uh, it was the whole thing pre- was presented like a 1970s movie and right. it had a grainy film effect to it it had a rough edit it had a rough kind of like jarring kind of like soundtrack and stuff like that i i i was immediately interested in this film just from the trailer and then i saw paul giamatti i saw alexander payne's name attached and i went okay this could be good and when i watched the film from the first shots of the film, there are moments in this in, in the in the opening act that are just shots that are burned in my head. There's a moment where we're, we're introduced to divine Joy Randall's character, the, 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 school cook and she's working in the kitchen and she's, and it's this beautiful kind of like new England area setting. It's Christmas time. So it's snowing outside and she's just stirring this big pot of food and her eye just turns out the window where the snow is just slowly, beautifully falling outside. Wistful and there's snow. this wispy snow. look in her face It's beautiful, Wispy Snow. It's absolutely (laughs) picture-perfect Christmas scene scenario. But you can see her face. There's something in her face which tells you something's not right. And she hasn't said a word. Yeah, she's
1: not looking forward to Christmas.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful. And then there's another shot... Of Paul Giamatti's character, as we see him wake up in his small little apartment that's in the school, and we get like him sitting at his desk, like you know, correcting exams, and he's smoking a pipe, and he's got a, a, a tumbler of a whiskey beside him. And it's morning time, and there's a shot of his sink—dirty, grimy, filthy sink with a toothbrush hanging out there and toothpaste hanging off the sides. But sitting on the—I don't know if you notice this—sitting on the sink itself is a tube, a well-used tube of preparation H which is ointments that you put on your anus for hemorrhoids. And if if you watch Giamatti walk throughout the film, you'll see he has this strange walk, and it's because he's got hemorrhoids.
1: And he's really uncomfortable as he's he's doing anything. Oh, God. I was more distracted by his wall-eyed expression, because he has one eye which is looking off to the side. And there's a moment in the film Mm -hmm. where one of the, the students says, can I ask which eye am I meant to be looking into? And he says, um, "Yeah, I, I, I can't remember if he says it's the left one or something like that." But they flip the wall-eyed it, eye, yes. so it's like the opposite eye. But it's it's a tiny little detail in the film. But he's very easy to dislike character because they've made him uglier than he than Paul G. Maddy is, and they've given him this real miserable, cantankerous spirit where life yeah. has kicked him in the balls. And he's taking it on everybody else. But by God, it goes places. And again, it, it broken people over Christmas trying to find a little bit of joy. Beautiful film. So engaging.
0: I would say this is a Christmas classic for me. This is one that I'll come back to at Christmas over and over again. Because it has all of the hallmarks of what what makes a great Christmas story for me. And one of the perfect Christmas stories, of course, is uh, A Christmas Carol, which is all about, you know, it's a story about this curmudgeon who, you know, is, who is very much living in the cold of life and is brought brought into the, the warm heart surrounded of by Muppets. community. And And that's Paul Giamatti in this movie as well. But it's very much a story told with that sentiment at its core. And what I liked about it as well is that, yes, we have characters who, I suppose on one level, when you look at it, they're very entitled characters. They're in this prep school. They have wealthy, obviously very wealthy parents to be able to afford this way of life. But the, the film and the story does a great job of making it making, making it feel miserable. Uh, they're basically staying in prison for this entire summer holidays. They have to move out of their comfortable rooms and have to bunk together in the dormitory. The heating shut off all over the place. The food's not going to be as nice and they have got the war, not the worst teacher the meanest teacher in the school looking after him.
1: He wants them to study and do homework and tests all over Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Such a prick. And what ends up happening is he becomes quite avuncular and fatherly towards this kid who needs reassurance and guidance and he is if he fails this test he's going to be sent to a military uh, academy and that's going to Hmm. completely divert the path that he can take in life. And it's, it's mostly just because he's lost his father. His mother's moved on, uh, found a new partner and yeah, he's just, he's a damaged kid who isn't really that damaged in the grand scheme of things. He's reacting very rationally and very humanly to what, you'd feel in that scenario, but because it's such a strict environment and it's a, it's a very sort of like, um, cop yourself on, like get over it type of mentality. That's rife at the time. He is becoming quite cold and distant because there's nobody in his corner. And then Paul Giamatti, who feels like he's the Mm. antagonist for this character ends up, I don't know, bonding with him and with the cook and, uh, yeah, you just love, what did you say before about great Christmas stories? It's like broken people. Something you you said something about her, it's about broken people. Yeah,
0: it's a it's about characters who are uh, when we meet them they're they are out in the cold, they are lost, they are out in the, the dead of the winter, cold. out in the frost and the cold and the snow. And the the best of these stories are ones where we see those characters be brought in or find their way into the warmth and the hearth and community. Yes, And that really is what, you know, this this does. And I am looking forward to, I really want to watch that. This is so, I want to watch this film as as soon as possible again. That's how I feel after having just watched it last week for the first time or whenever it was. So... um, Did you cry at the end? I cry, I, I... I shed my tears. I think earlier, earlier on, you know, not right at the end. I felt it at the end.
1: Characters who do something selfless. Always gets me. But yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah. It's the top three for me: either God, it's me, Margaret, past lives, and the holdovers. They all made me shed tears, and they entertained me, and they they gave me something unique each, and I love them all as much as each other but for very different reasons so my top three could almost be my joint number one between those three films yeah
0: my top five are my special ones Are You There, are you there God It's Me Margaret Sesame Past Lives The Boy and the Heron and The Holdovers I absolutely See I haven't seen the other two the that, that are on
1: your top five list so maybe they'd be on mine as well but yeah, I don't know we'll have to come back on in a mini bits and see when I finally get round to them but Will yes. that's our top ten list yes. it's been surprisingly for me a very strong year there were a few films that i felt gutted to not include but i have them as my honorable mentions list so i've got three i want to mention and you've said that you had a few on yours tell me what were your honorable mentions yeah. just
0: sort of curiosity before we wrap up it's a documentary still the michael j fox movie which is on apple edited by a gallman michael hart I didn't see it. Yeah, it's really almost... There was a moment it was in my my top 10 and it got bumped off. The animated film Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I thought that Mm -hmm. was just so much fun. Bottoms is an honorable mention. I thought that was wonderful. Oppenheimer is an honorable mention. I genuinely thought Oppenheimer was, despite some of my kind of narrative misgivings about it, I felt as a cinematic experience, the, the experience I had when... The, the use of sounds they had in there it was just I really felt I was I was exp- I was having an experience you know with the with the the explosion and uh, all that there's so many things in there the way it moved along at such a brisk pace uh, unfortunately it didn't crack my top 10 so those are my honourable mentions how about you Kevin?
1: I really enjoyed Oppenheimer in the cinema but it has faded from memory to the point where I wouldn't be able to tell you what I really loved about the film it just sort of Traveled along, and I think it is a result of Nolan's propensity to cut all his films like montages. So the entire film felt like it was the cliff Notes version of every scene, rapidly cut together and just hurtling towards the end. And that's great in the moment because it's got mm. energy and pace and you're just sort of like, you're dragged along. But then when you have time to think about it, there aren't that many scenes which I can just clamp onto and feel like that was a great juicy scene because he's cut them down to the quick so I enjoyed Oppenheimer but I couldn't really say that it has stayed with me or lingered with me I'm sure it's going to get like battered with Oscars and awards and whatever but um yeah it didn't make my top 10 list the three that I want to mention as my honorable mentions are there's one that's from a director called A.V. Rockwell Uh, It's called A Thousand and One, and it stars Tiana Taylor. Mm. It is a beautiful story. I mentioned it on my favorites of the year, First Watches, the Patreon episode that we just did a couple of days ago. It is the story of a young woman who gets out of jail, and she's reunited with her little boy, who is in foster care, and she decides, upon learning that he is in, he's not being cared for properly, that she's going to take him away from that situation, and so she abducts him, and changes his identity, gets sort of falsified documents, uh, social security number, changes his name, enrolls him in school, and sort of sorts her life out, gets on the straight and narrow she enters into a relationship with a, a guy who's also fallen on the phone of the police in the past and you know there's slight tension to that but this kid is a bit of a genius he's got an aptitude for great things in life but because his identity's been switched um, that when he comes to an age where he needs to apply for jobs or he needs to enroll in college then the truth is going to come out and there are a lot of secrets that, that are exposed um, it spans this little boy's life from when he's a kid to when he's you know, about to graduate high school and go to college it's really well made it looks like a Safdie Brothers film if they had directed it I think everybody would be aware of it and they'd be talking about it she's fantastic, Tiana Taylor the film is brilliant and the ending really ripped the heart out of me it's fantastic it's one that you've got to see And my other two, one, everybody's probably seen. It's The Killer, the David Fincher film with Michael Fassbender. I loved it. I I watched it twice. I didn't mention it because it just feels a little slight, but it was a brilliant film. It did exactly what it was meant to do. And, you know, it it was one of the most enjoyable films of the year. So it's one of my honorable mentions. And the last one is one that I don't think anybody has seen. And it stars Sidney Sweeney and it's directed by Tina Satter. And it's called Reality. And it's about reality winner. The whistleblower in the United States who passed on information to the media that Russia interfered with the U.S. presidential election that put Trump in office. And it's a real-time story. She's coming home from work one day and the FBI turn up uh, on her doorstep. And for the next 90 minutes, you see her try to hold her resolve and her nerve as her entire world crashes down and all of the dialogue is taken, well, huge chunks of it are taken from the recordings of the interrogation that happens while they're they're ripping her house out and they're asking her questions and they're pinning her down. They know that she's done this and they're trying to pin her down. And Sydney Sweeney, I think has become famous recently uh, over the last few years for euphoria, but also for being a very beautiful looking woman. And I think some people are trying to dismiss her talent but if you don't think that Sydney Sweeney is a fucking gold standard, a future Academy Award winning type actress, watch this film. She's brilliant in it. And mm-hmm. reality winner is a hero. So yeah, fantastic little film. Very slight, almost a chamber piece. It all takes place in her house, but I loved it. I've got one more
0: honourable mention that I have got to mention. And I really think everyone should check it out. It's called Theatre Camp. It's directed by Molly Gordon, who you might remember if you've seen The Bear. It, Molly is is his girlfriend uh, in The Bear season two, and Nick Lieberman. It is so funny. It gave me vibes of Wet Hot American Summer. Oh my god! Uh, but it is it's it's heart. Is f- it's sort of my favorite film. Yeah, you remember that movie? It's got. Its yeah, heart- I love that film yeah so it's got his heart is firmly in the right place it's set in a kind of a scrappy theater camp somewhere in upstate New York and the entire camp is about it is about to go bust because the owner has slipped into a coma so it's kind of falling on the shoulders of her son who is a complete bro and asshole and doesn't have a clue what he's doing and the trusted staff who have been there for years and years actually have been there since they were kids themselves who adore the camp and love musical theater and love these kids who also might be in their normal worlds, kind of like the eccentrics or the outcasts. And just for this, this little window at summer, this is their safe space and it's under threat. So it's, it's one of those films where it's kind of one of those classic Muppets stories of we got to save the camp sort of thing. But my God, it is so funny. It is just... You know, the characters are so engaging and obviously in love with musical theatre as well. And the music's great. There's it's a musical. So they're coming up with their own show throughout it. And it's genuinely the songs are catchy and the final number is incredibly catchy and fun and delightful. So if you want to see something fun over the Christmas, that's musical and funny theatre camp. Highly recommend it.
1: Well, there you go. That's been our top ten list of the year. It's been a really good year, not just for films but also for us on the podcast. This has been our most productive year ever. We did all types of shows, Will. We did commentaries. We did the Picard watch-alongs. We did all of our mini bits on our Patreon. Yeah. We had the best bits of whatever. Um, and we had our main shows. So And we did the Horror October mm-hmm. as well. I'm and now we're doing those, this. That wonderful thing. So, Yeah. <laughs> So, um, <laughs>
0: oh, yeah, it was a wonderful year, a wonderful
1: year. So, I just want to say for everybody that's listening, I hope you have a great Christmas and a wonderful new year. Thank you for listening to us throughout the year. It really means a lot to us to have people out there that are enjoying the show and, and engaging with us about it. Yeah, I love doing this podcast. Would you, Will, when we're in sync and not like on a delay? Same, but for now for me anyway I just want to say thank you for listening to us and thank you too Will
0: thank you Kevin it's great doing the show and it's great to be able to get on here and talk about films
1: and share our
0: passion with the world so I'm looking forward <laughs> the to world. next year I wish it was the world we've got one listener in, in Azerbaijan do we well there you go yeah.
1: so thank yeah. you for listening we're back in the new year uh, come visit our Patreon there's so many bonus episodes over there we just did our favorites of the year which is our first watches where we talked about all the films that we saw that we loved that came out before we were born or that we didn't catch at the time of release and um yeah we may as well play it us out now. With a little recap nice. of our highlights of Ooh, the year i right, looking forward to
0: happy christmas happy, happy christmas kevin happy christmas everyone <laughs> I've been watching your face and there's whatever's happening with, the, whatever's happening with the pixelation, it turned your face into, you remember Mask with uh, Cher? Your face, just your nose went like this
1: in your eyes and your face was it looked like Mask. <laughs> and you know, know you, you look like the guy in that. Robocop who got the vat of acid that was poured over him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <you> look, oh, <laughs> oh. Kill me!
1: <laughs> Very good. Happy New Year, Will. Kevin! <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Your face. I'm, I'm fucking. Exhausted. I'm exhausted. I'm after Have sleeping it in for this recording. Have you seen my dog? Choose Irish Shite. Did you ever encounter magic in real life? It was March 3rd, 2021. We had the magic. It's a deep cut. How are you, Kevin? I'm grand.
0: It's good to be sitting here in front of a microphone. Looking at your delightful face. Hello, Kevin. How's it all now? It's me, the 15-toe. He's my favorite. Are you saying we're in an alternate timeline, Podbod? Is that what's going on?
1: That's exactly
0: what I'm saying. What does that mean? Uh-huh. golden fleece. I see dead
1: people. paper. Holy Spirit, activate. Oh, no. Holy oh. Spirit, activate. Don't oh, do that. Activate. Let's go. Spin on the hate Me. Movie podcast where we take our favorite scenes. I'm not going to interrupt you scenes. on this episode because it drives people mad. Welcome. Jesus, <laughs> play and stupid. We're in the cave.
0: Oh.
1: <laughs> the best bits, or oh, whatever.
0: Captain, you've got me. Does your ass smell
1: With two boxes of wine And a crime Have some toast Take get your brain juice bitch And unleash your inner maniac Call oh. me a roid. Sure Dan yeah. <laughs> You're wrong because <laughs> That's brilliant That's brilliant <rich>. <laughs> Fuck this is for you God <laughs> <laughs> punch, punch up, up. Alright <laughs> I am <laughs> punching up You're the one with <laughs> the bathroom You can at least move it <laughs> off camera.
0: camera I'm a big fan You know I do listen To your dulcet tones Regularly You and Kevin it's lovely. I've got to ask who your favourite is. Oh, God, well, you're my favourite, of course. Best quiz <laughs> <twist laughs> ever. And this podcast digs into the details around the shows and films we love,
1: in often a unique and always interesting way.
0: The Care Bears movie, in reality, it's a Star Wars thing.
1: Yeah!
0: Hello! We've had the baby. Her name is Chloe. Ireland's finest, Kevin and Willem. We love you! Do you know what Kev, do you know, I've loved listening to you guys talking about this week in and week out because your love for this show has shone through so much that it made
1: me love it even more. Engage. Where do I get this reputation for hating things? I hate films. I never want to watch another film ever again, but I'm ready to talk about films. Best fucking podcast in the universe. Yeah. Hello kids and welcome to the final episode in this month long series of horror films. Hey oh, fuck, it's <laughs> overall. It's Corporate. Richard Coyle stand on this motion picture, and I have so many stories. I do have trouble recalling many of them because of the concussions. Wait, Wait we didn't get a big laugh, though. Let me just give you one. <laughs> 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 Dash, Not a character
0: for me, more money for Big Man look I've got my green door. Yeah. yeah.
1: What the hell is even that?
0: Steve, as a philopath, <laughs> what was it like winning from that? Very incredible. I like it.
1: Oh, you love Jaws? <laughs> Thanks. Call me. Take it easy. You're gonna blow my back out.
0: It is like she's. <laughs> chocolate chocolate. What's up? It's not like even when I take the kids to the cinema, when they come out, I ask them, like, what was that like?
1: Great.